Hello ladies and gentlemen this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn Educate Discover On this podcast we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes how do they go about exploring it further On today's show we'll be talking about managing growth at a startup and to help us understand this area our guest on today's show is Akash Gupta who works as a growth manager at a startup called ThreadUp which is based right here in San Francisco in California so what is growth growth is an offshoot of marketing and it refers to using various creative techniques and analytical thinking to help a startup acquire new users new customers and to grow at a certain rate typically folks in growth would use fairly creative ways such as social media website analytics and stuff like that to help a company acquire new users as opposed to the more traditional means that you might find in a lot of marketing roles and of course we'll go into a lot of detail with akash during the show but one of the reasons that growth has come under a lot of limelight in recent times is because this function has helped a lot of startups really accelerate their growth and in fact many of them are now fairly prominent companies that we are mostly familiar with such as facebook dropbox twitter airbnb and many more quick introduction to threadup before we get to akash threadup is an e-commerce company it's spelled as t h r e d u p so that's threadup.com and they enable users to buy and sell used clothing for women and for children they've been doing fairly well in fact very recently they raised their series e round of funding worth more than 80 million dollars this i'm quoting from crunchbase and they have some fairly well known investors backing them such as goldman sachs redpoint ventures and some more now coming to akash he has quite a background He got his bachelor's in economics and psychology from University of Michigan after which he worked in consulting for a few years. He also started his own app company and in fact one of his apps called Rap the Beats is available in the App Store. It's rated as 4.5 on 5 stars across hundreds of ratings. I think he has more than 500 ratings. So if you're interested in rap music do check it out. But after spending a few years in consulting Akash realized that he's more a startup kind of guy so he decided to switch and today he's a growth manager with ThreadUp. Akash comes with a lot of experience both in the startup space as well as in this function specifically and on today's show he'll be sharing a lot of details to help us understand what working in growth is all about. So without further ado let's see what Akash has to share with us today. Hey Akash, how are you? Thank you for the time. Thanks, Sonali. Thanks for that kind introduction. <laughs> oh, you do have a great background. So, congratulations on the Series E funding. Thanks. It was a really fast-paced, exciting summer. So, what's the mood in the company like so far? I think um, the high of the funding round late this summer. quickly subsided into the rush for holidays. Anyone <laughs> in yeah. retail or e-commerce knows that 
holiday season is extremely important. And so I think the entire company has kind of already shifted focus into really conquering this holiday period, you know, starting with launching free shipping on Monday for a month. So it's been a really fun time. And I think we have gotten our jingle bells out in our reindeer ears and gotten in the full mood to sell on holidays. Uh, that's good for the company, I guess. All right, this is great. I think now let's get into more of the details of growth. But before we get into that, why don't we start out with a little bit of an introduction on yourself? So perhaps your background and your journey so far. Sure. I think probably the way I would describe myself is someone who always had really outside dreams that maybe weren't quite achievable. Whether when I was like little and I thought I wanted to be an astronaut and a basketball player and a hockey player at the same time. Or when I was in college and I was like, yeah, I can study economics because that's something I want to learn, but I can continue being a good coder myself and can teach myself Photoshop and design and everything else I want to learn. And I can work in multiple different fields. So I was always a little bit unsure or unable to commit to something. So after college, I did management consulting and really probably enjoyed projects that were on growth and growth strategy the most and enjoyed those projects that were tech related. So it became pretty apparent to me that when I was coding in high school and entering coding competitions, that wasn't just a, a hobby, but potentially a, a lifelong passion. And so I wanted to go into tech and startup, um, worked on some apps with my brother, like Raptive Eats, which is really, you know, taking a passion project and then building it out for other people to use. And then I came to ThreadUp, you know, in the Bay Area, there's just this wealth of rapidly growing companies. And so... Living here and talking to so many of them, it just became apparent that I really wanted to work in this really fast-paced, fun environment. And so that's kind of how I ended up at ThreadUp. Yeah, so when you were in consulting, you said that you enjoyed the growth strategy projects the most. What was it exactly that made you want to switch? What was that trigger point? Probably a combination of things. The first is that being my first job out of college, what do I actually care about working on? What am I most passionate about working on all the time? Do I want to work on a wide array of things or do I want to really dive in? And then do I want to work on developing the strategy or do I want to work on executing? Mm-hmm. So with consulting, it really helps you pinpoint because you get to work on such a wide array of things. And for me, after working on enough cost reduction projects, I was getting closer to that trigger point. So between priorities and what I wanted to work on, and then finally industry, which is that, you know, the technology industry kind of has a unique set of challenges, problems it's solving and hurts in this area, especially, I kind of narrowed my focus down and used consulting's broad experience to say, okay, this is actually what I want to do. So it wasn't necessarily like a trigger point, but I used the experience to kind of narrow it down along those three dimensions. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then when you decided to switch, did you know at that time that you wanted to get into startups or did you start out with a more broad lens and then finally decided that startups was what you wanted to do? Yeah, I think I more specifically just said tech. So, I see. Yeah. 
I applied to big and small tech companies. And as I spoke with more people and was coming down to my final decision, it became clear that I kept siding to the startup side. Mm-hmm. And why was that? Primarily the type of impact you can make at a young age, the type of roles and questions and problems you can solve, the type of quality and level of people you can work with. Even if you join an amazing technology company right out like two years of work experience, it's pretty hard to position yourself in the company such that you can really effectuate large-scale business change. Um, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. So for the benefit of our listeners, can you briefly describe what ThreadUp does? Yeah. ThreadUp is a managed marketplace for used clothing for women's and kids. So let's say you, like most Americans, you know, the average male buys about 14 items of clothing a year. The average female buys about 34. If you narrow that down to 20 to 50-year-old females, they buy over 40 items of clothing a year. If you're one of those people, your closet is filled up. You order a free bag from us, you fill it up with your gently used clothes, send it back to us, shipping's free. We process the clothes, we list the clothes, we pay you up front. Or if it's over a certain price, we consign it. So we pay you when we sell it. But for the most part, we pay you up front. And then we sell the clothes. And the clothes are basically new. We call it like new because most times when people open our products, they really can't tell the difference. When I first joined ThreadUp, I learned a bunch of words that I never knew or I'd ever heard of, like pilling. It's like the little fibers that show up if you've uh, overworn yeah. a item of clothing. So. The clothes have an extremely high quality. We market them, and most of the people who buy from us had never bought used before. So we market them against new clothing, and then we market it as a way to clean out your closet. And that has kind of really taken off as people just keep coming back for more. Right, right. When you were looking for a job at a startup, were you always recruiting for growth, or were you also considering other roles initially? I was pretty broad with a consulting background and startup background. You can apply to a wide variety of roles. And so for me, I actually used the job search process a little bit to help narrow my focus. Uh, As you talk to people and you say, okay, well, what would you expect out of a great performer in this role? What are the responsibilities of a person in this role? Where do you see them growing into? It helps you lay out the different tracks. Uh, in a much clearer way than just reading Quora or reading the job listing. So I think I was really happy, actually, that I was applying to product, analytic, marketing, growth, all types of jobs. Okay. And then you finally decided on growth. Why? Primarily because it's cross-functional and because you really get the opportunity to make an impact pretty quickly. So whereas in product management, I felt as though maybe I would own a specific portion of a specific part of the site or specific campaigns. Or in analytics, I felt like I would be confined to doing analyses. Or in marketing, I felt like I would be confined to being creative or managing channels. I feel like growth really allows you to move amongst those roles in kind of a fluid way and where you see or your team and you agree that there is a large area for you to make an impact because there's either a gap or there's a large opportunity. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Yeah. So I think at this point, it'll be helpful if you can describe what is the meaning of managing growth at a startup. It really varies from startup to startup. I think two ways to think about it. One is how has growth evolved at other startups? So I can talk a little bit to like how I've seen it grow in other companies. But then the second is just theoretically where it sits in a business hierarchy, because that will help answer a lot of questions. Okay. So first is sort of how has it grown up? I think it probably was made most famous with Facebook. So Facebook had people like Jamatal Hibatia who really evangelized growth as a function, a function that sat is equal partner to functions like engineering. So it didn't sit under product or it didn't sit under marketing. So it wasn't like, you know, this SVP performing, reporting to the SVP of marketing who's reporting to the CMO is how the growth initiatives funneled through the company. And that team at Facebook was really cross-functional. It included product people, people who were working on product features like implementing new languages that could really unlock viral growth. It included marketing people, people who were working on things like social media sharing hooks that could really get people to get all their friends on there and really establish the network effects and create campaigns to drive shares and drive inviting your friends. Then there were people who were engineers and data scientists, all thinking about growth and implementing growth initiatives. So growth can really cover lots of different areas. I think at a startup, it's really illustrative to look at who you're reporting up through. So that's kind of the second area is if you think about who you're reporting through, what KPIs they own and what KPIs you might grow to own, it becomes more apparent what the role is about. So at ThreadUp's case, growth reports in through marketing. So it's inherently more of a marketing-focused role, but the way we kind of engineer the growth team is to make that growth team very fluid so that it can work across product marketing, analytics, design, whether that is managing channels, whether that is writing copy, whether that is uncovering product features, whether that is building PLs to evaluate how certain campaigns affected the business, how pricing changes affect the business. It's thinking about all those growth strategy concepts, then really applying them and executing them and doing that in different areas of the business rapidly and moving to the area where you can make the maximum impact. Okay, so I think it will be helpful if you can describe or maybe give examples of the sort of goals that someone in growth might have. So a typical way a startup might be organized is for people to own KPIs. So within particular growth functions, you'll often see people owning KPIs around certain campaigns, programs, channels, or features. So a KPI someone might own, KPI I own, is the cost per acquisition versus the lifetime value of the referrals program. So that is the payback period of the referrals program. So we have a paid referrals program. If you refer me to ThreadUp, after I make a purchase, you get $20 and I got $20 off my first purchase. So that's a $40 expenditure. That would be considered the cost to acquire the customer. And then you need to think about the benefit you get. What is the benefit you get on the Sonali side? How much of a better customer does she become because she has a friend on the platform? And what is the lifetime value of Akash? How good of a customer is he going to be? 
then you can understand the payback period of that initiative. So if we spent $40, when do we recover that $40 cash? We recover that $40 in about five to six months. That's an awesome channel. Let's continue to optimize and push volume. So that would be an example. Are you trying to maximize that value in the shortest period of time then? is I mean, would that be a fair assessment? I think different companies have different goals. At ThreadUp, it's probably ROAS and payback period or ROI. Okay. So it's uh, the amount of return that you might get over the cost that you incurred for acquiring a customer over the lifetime of the customer. That would be the case for new customer acquisition. Hmm. But growth could be retention focused. It could be product feature focused. It could be pricing focused. So as examples of all three, retention focused, it could be focused on understanding how we can increase the repeat rates of our existing customers who came through paid acquisition channels. How do we get people who came through an advertisement, a display advertisement, to make one item order per month? Because right now, they only make 0.6 item orders per month. That is, they make three item orders every five months. I see. How do we get them to make one item order a month? That might be a repeat example. Another example might be something more product-related. How do you increase the conversion rate from sign-up to first purchase? So... Once someone has entered their email address on the website, how do you make sure that they really make that first purchase? What emails do you send them? What push notifications? What does the product look like? Then there could be something more financial or pricing or business related. If we establish a free shipping threshold of $70, how is that going to affect our contribution margin and our EBITDA? How is that going to affect our top line? I see. Okay. Yeah. Sounds very interesting. Um, let's, let's take one example, right? Pick an example. That's your favorite. How would you actually go about enabling that? How do you do it? Because you're in growth. Then there are people who are working on product. There are engineers, there are sales folks. Do you work with them to figure out what's the best strategy to enable each of these or how do you do it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think nothing in any company, but especially in like a rapidly growing startup happen alone. And the way a growth person really succeeds is by being able to wedge themselves into places in the company where they can get things done. If it's around repeat rate, how do you influence the email program to go in that direction? How do you work with those email markets marketers? How do you work with those product managers and those engineers, you know, conversion rate often has a lot to do with site speed. You might need to do an audit yourself of site speed because product managers may just not have the time. And those are the types of areas where you can fill in, you can find a gap, and then you can really team with the people and help understand what would unlock their support. You know, for product managers, it's always around the business case. For engineers, it's always around product manager buy-in and prioritization. For marketers, it's always around kind of like a business case, a creative vision, and fitting in with the brand. So you need to really insert yourself. And then you also typically will be owning something. So in the area where you own something, it's really up to you. Like a lot of growth managers will own paid influencers spend. So it's up to them which influencers they work with and how they work with those influencers. And they might have a marketing person who's helping lead 
these with the influencers or develop the content story for the influencers or develop the content story themes for the business. But it's really their dollars, so they need to be held accountable for how the ROI is on that money spent. Sounds like there's literally like a million different things that you can do, right? Because you, the kind of questions that you're describing, they're all over the place. Very cross-functional, as you said in the beginning. How do you decide which questions you decide to work on? It's a combination of prioritization by the person. So growth teams will typically hire very specific types of people who they trust can prioritize themselves the best you know it's taking that ceo hat and saying how can i make the most impact on the business but then it's also teaming and working within your team and especially your reporting structure if you are on the marketing team and you want to really affect the referrals program you should try to get ownership of that program and then you will be accountable for its performance but you can also make decisions and have those decisions cascade through product engineering etc Okay. So it sounds like a fairly analytical role, right? More analytical than creative. It's really, um, I think the best growth managers are left and fake brain in the sense that to unlock a new channel, a new way to work with influencers, you know, um, one of the, the companies that really has pioneered this as an example is Casper pioneered working with unpaid bloggers. They sent millions of emails and crawled the web to find all these new bloggers and sent them content that they could write blog posts about. And then they got free content. And they may not have gotten too many impressions from the blog post, but they had a long-term strategy and a vision around SEO. And that vision had to be creatively driven in the sense that you created that channel as a channel to exist. And... And you also created all the content that the bloggers could work with and had the creativity to realize that there were all those bloggers out there who wanted content. Right. That's a very interesting point. Can you give some more examples of some very interesting or crazy or weird growth campaigns that you might have seen either at ThreadUp or elsewhere? Two of my favorite examples, because they really get growth managers thinking outside of the box. The first is, and I alluded to this a bit earlier, But the Facebook example, we all use Facebook every day. So it's something that everyone can relate to and think about, well, how would I grow Facebook? Well, one way is to get it into more countries. And how do you get more people to use something? You get it in their language. This was a huge growth step for Facebook. Focusing in on translating their product to hundreds of languages. And that has really enabled them to take over whole countries. I think that's one example. And then the other example I really like, because it's not consumer, is HubSpot. Mm -hmm. So HubSpot has really enabled, and actually a quick background for people who may not know, what is HubSpot? HubSpot's like a marketing analytics company, really focused on internet businesses. So they help marketing teams do analytics, do customer relationship management, automate marketing. Okay. So HubSpot wanted to grow. They were a venture-backed company, but they're an enterprise company. So they had slightly different growth problems. And what they did is they hacked together a free website analysis tool and a free website marketing analysis tool. So you type in your URL and it would give you all these awesome 
awesome recommendations about ways you could improve. Wow, that's and, very innovative, yeah. And they generated, uh, I believe, millions of leads. For an enterprise company, that is a gold mine. Right, right, yeah. And that is something that someone in growth would typically be thinking about. How can you do some stuff like that, which would really put your company on a completely different kind of growth path? Exactly. Okay. So one term that I hear a lot in the tech industry is growth hacking. So is is growth management same as growth hacking or are they different? I think growth hacking can actually be two totally different things. And so you need to read it in a context. Growth hacking in the context of a big company is almost always referring to the engineers on a growth team. They're the people building out that website for HubSpot. So they're the ones who are actually building the scraper that's analyzing the URL once it's typed in. They're the ones coding the awesome user experience while someone else maybe on the growth team is actually responsible for wireframing that user experience and someone else on the growth team is actually responsible for coming up with the idea and doing the analytics. Mm-hmm. So that's one type of growth hacker. And then the other type of growth hacker that's probably a little more common in startups is kind of a, I can do anything and everything growth hacker. I am fine with accounting. I am fine with programming. I am fine with front-end programming, database programming, back-end programming, Java, JavaScript programming, Excel, Tableau, SQL, those type of people. And those people basically are mini CEOs and they can fill in wherever the business needs, whether it's writing the ETL to establish the data infrastructure so everyone can actually operate. That's a huge growth hack. Or whether it's them actually you know, coding a fix to the website or coding in 301 redirects to make the SEO better. Mm-hmm. That person really can go in and find something and then just go change it. Wow, yeah, that sounds like a very unique kind of role. I mean, I, I don't think there'll be a lot of people who can pull off so many different things. <laughs> yeah, it's usually a pretty small company phenomenon because at some point those roles get siloed. Right. So actually, that's another interesting point. Do you think that a role like growth is found more at smaller companies than large companies or is it found in all kinds of companies? It's found in all kinds of tech companies. The word is almost a cliche in Silicon Valley, but it's the type of cliche that you would really naturally expect to come out of Silicon Valley. Because if you've been in Silicon Valley for any amount of time, you know that everyone actually is always working on growth. Everyone is always interested in growth. So it makes sense that you would hire people where all they do 24-7 is think about and manufacture growth. But you will find it in large tech companies also. So for example, Facebook today might have someone actively thinking about growth and just growth. And their title would be growth manager, whatever. I think they might be growth product marketing manager at YouTube or they might be manager of growth customer acquisition for Google Fiber or something like that. So they might have a slightly more specific role, but I think growth exists in companies that are huge like Salesforce and Oracle and also companies that are small and series A. Right. Okay. And then is there a difference between a purely growth-oriented role and what I think a lot of people are familiar with, which is a marketing role? I think a 
There probably is. So people who are purely marketing, they'll often be either like customer acquisition managers where they manage a channel. They might manage billboard purchasing in the West Coast, or they might manage the purchasing of Facebook advertisement. There might even be six people focused in on purchasing of Facebook advertisement traditionally, and they might all have growth in their title. So I do think it's a title that is an umbrella, and under that umbrella, there are many different people who have different roles depending on what they own, how big the organization is, and how growth is organized, whether it's reporting under another function or it sits in its own. I see. Okay. So, I mean, for example, at ThreadUp right now, you have people like yourself who are specifically working on growth. You're called a growth manager. And then there are people who are, quote unquote, working on marketing. And both of them exist at the same company. Yep. And I report through the marketing function too. So, although our role involves lots of product and analytics, that's because oftentimes, like, product will report up through marketing in e commerce companies. Sometimes even analytics will be owned in marketing. So in an e-commerce company, a growth role will often be more, a little more than just marketing. It's sometimes sub-industry specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at least based on what you're describing, it sounds much broader than just marketing. All right. So uh, actually, could you give an example of a project that you might have worked on at ThreadUp and walk us through the sort of the process that you followed? So what was sort of the initial problem statement and then the various steps that you took to finally arrive at whatever result? Sure. One of my favorite has been around Blogger. So it's really interesting in the world of online advertising, there's this question of attribution. And what attribution is really about is how you track the effect of a paid advertisement as it relates to bringing in traffic to your website. And there's a model of click-through attribution where you actually can measure a click and then how that translates into a visit to your website and a purchase from your website. And then there's view attribution where someone sees something. So most of the money in advertising is often in media like TV or YouTube ads or YouTube videos. And that's a view attribution. So it's a really difficult media to accurately measure. And as a result, a lot of companies will shy away from it if they're extremely click-driven historically. At ThreadUp, we were definitely on the click attribution side of things as a marketing organization. Definitely a direct response orientation in which we put this ad on Google AdWords or we invested in this influencer. Someone clicked on this link and then they made this purchase. But we knew that we wanted to diversify our channel mix, that we also wanted to reach people who had ad blockers, that we wanted to reach people in an organic way. So we did things like television advertising. We did YouTube pre-roll videos. But I myself am a humongous fan of YouTube vloggers. Like one of my favorites is Superwoman. You know who she is? Oh yeah, the the one who I think it's a very recent thing. I I remember seeing her on some talk show. I don't think I've seen Superwoman the series itself. 
She is hilarious. She's a 26-year-old Canadian-American living in Toronto, still lives in her mom's house. She is so funny. She <laughs> releases videos like every single day. She has two accounts. Uh, one account has over 3 million subscribers. Wow. She has an insane following. She is just a magnetic personality. And if she were to say something like, and I just love guys in H&M, it probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't even notice, but it might influence me just a little bit. And I knew how much I was inherently learning from her and just taking on her personality even. So I knew how much of an influence she was having on me. And so we started to experiment with sponsored influencers where you might reach out to a prominent fashion blogger and you might say, hey, you know, ThreadUp is this new startup. We're doing used clothes online. We saw that you posted a video about thrifting, how you got these awesome clothes at the thrift store. And so we wanted to send you some of our clothes. So here's, you know, X amount of shopping credit. You should totally check out our site and uh, let us know, you know, if you have any feedback. And things like that, we started to see really get some traction because it creates organic glue to the brand. The people get your product, they love your product, they're wowed by your product and your experience. And so they're organically giving your product an endorsement on their channel to their audience that is much more authentic and effective than a lot of advertisements. So I helped ThreadUp think about channel as existing, help them measure it in terms of view through attribution, how we can think about measuring it in different ways and how we can think about tracking it. And then I helped invest and get a big budget behind it and continually increase that budget through things like experimentation. Should we work with smaller influencers, medium influencers, big sized influencers? Should we work with them on YouTube versus different media? So there's lots of different components to it that you can then test and work with in terms of content or media or type of endorsement or type of payment to iterate on that program and constantly refine and test and get better and then invest more. Wow, that sounds super interesting. So were you then actively reaching out to these bloggers? And actually, just for the listeners who are not familiar, this is bloggers, right? So that's V-L-O-G-G-E-R-S. It's like a video blog on YouTube or similar other platforms. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so were you the one who was then actually reaching out to all of these folks who have these channels, uh, video channels? So the way it works at ThreadUp is that I will typically manage the agency relationships, getting the initial relationships started, and then we'll fold in the brand marketers, the people whose job it is all day to think about what story should ThreadUp be telling about its brand. And those people then can work with the influencer to come up with a really awesome story, a really awesome hook, a really awesome way to talk about the brand. So I might initiate the discussion, initiate the budgeting, I'd sign the contract, but a marketing person is most likely really working daily hand-to-hand with the influencer. Right, right. Okay, so just to summarize, you first identified that this that these video loggers could be super useful influencers for you to work with, or at least experiment working with. Then you identified which platforms might be good to consider. So, for example, YouTube. Then I I guess you probably also uh, identified which video bloggers to try out, like the Superwoman character. 
And then I guess you were working with your brand managers to figure out what is the right story for each of these video bloggers to be sharing, which would then indirectly influence people and tell them about ThreadUp. Exactly. And the brand marketers are definitely involved in figuring out which people to work with as well. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. All right. This is super helpful, Akash. I think this paints a fairly good picture of what the role itself is all about. I think now we'll go into some of the more day-to-day aspects of your role. So on a typical day, what are the kind of activities that you're doing? One of the favorite things about my job, the different things you get to do on a seasonal, weekly, and daily, and hourly basis. But typically, to paint in broad strokes, I think the main activities for me are always around analytics, optimization of existing channels, meetings, meetings around creative activities, activities of problems I want to surface in the business, sharing analytic results, or driving optimizations and channels I own, like better ad creative, or working with the influencers to iterate the story or track the story, and then managing, managing downwards and upwards. So those are the main things that I work on. If I were to try to allocate percentages or mind space, it's probably 40% analytics and then 20% for the other ones. So it's really driven by the data. And for all of these analytics, you are using Excel as your tool of choice or something else? We usually use a variety of tools. Some of our data is way too big. So it's you know primarily using SQL, Stata, Tableau, R, depending on whether it's an econometric model or just a data representation. We also have a software called Looker, which is primarily for executives and exploration of data. It writes SQL for you. It's a pivot table, basically. And then, of course, even with a consulting background, I love Excel. (laughs) Yeah, that's your favorite tool, I guess. So a quick clarification on what you said. You said you spend a fair amount of time also on optimization on the channels that you're already working on. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What does optimization mean? What are the kind of things that you're looking at? And how do you decide that, hey, I think I can, quote unquote, optimize it further? So one way to think about it is what the person owns. So in the example I gave earlier to flesh that out, in the case of a vlogger, if you were to own the vlogger influencer budget, you might optimize and think about, okay, for this next month's spend, the next million dollars I want to spend on bloggers, I want to spend a third of it on big bloggers, a third of it on medium-sized, and a third of it on small. And I really want to understand which vlogger is driving the best return so that next month I can focus in on that category. So you might come up with a hypothesis of something to test, build a test around it, and then execute your channel against it. That might be one example. Another example, more classic, probably representative of more growth managers than me, is something like optimizing an advertising channel. You might optimize your Facebook display advertising. So Facebook is a pretty big channel. When you think about e-commerce, there are really two waves that have enabled e-commerce. The first wave was the wave of Google. Search enabled companies either through SEO, search engine optimization, or organic search to rise to the top of search results. Or through AdWords, through search engine marketing or paid search, people bought ads against certain words or terms to find people that were in market. That enabled the wave of niche e-commerce companies, companies like diapers.com, all of the online travel companies. 
companies like eBay, who had really good SEO. The second wave of e-commerce companies has really come up around really targeted and effective display advertising, of which Facebook is actually the leading channel. So if you look at growth in the online advertising industry, Facebook is taking share away from Google, and tons of consumer product companies are spotting up around Facebook. So if you're growth lead at Bonobos, or if you're growth lead at Zulily, or if you're working at Gilt, you're probably doing a lot on Facebook. So Facebook optimization might be something like building out different audiences and ad creative sequences to target that specific audience, and then building out a landing page experience that unites with that advertising experience and building out the checkout experience and user flow that totally aligns with that advertising. So you could optimize the ads or you could optimize the landing page or you could even optimize how you spend. So you might buy new technology to help you buy the ads or you might hire an engineer to help work on the Facebook API so you can buy ads through the API instead of their interface. So there's sort of different ways to optimize but most people in growth will be optimizing some sort of channel, whether it's the Facebook advertising channel, the blogger influencer channel, or the paid referrals channel. Okay, yeah, that, that's super helpful. Thanks a lot. Uh, one quick clarification, actually not a clarification, just something that I want to go deeper on. Going back to the example that you took of your favorite project, which was with the, uh, with the vloggers, how do you find out about these new channels? which could be effective? How do you stay up to date about these new things that are happening and which could be helpful for you to consider? I think part of it is not working so much. <laughs> you need to be out on the web. You need to be doing stuff. You need to be your target consumer. You need to go out and meet your target consumer. You need to go out and experience life. A lot of times, these growth hacks seem like obvious in hindsight. You know, a growth manager might surface that we need a browse abandon email. When someone looks at a product twice and hasn't purchased it, we need to send them that product an email. And if they open that email and don't purchase it, two days later, we need to send them an email with 15% off. Once you action that, it seems like, duh, we should have done that. That probably always has been part of our business. But actually, it's you going out there experiencing the product experiencing other people's products, coming back to your product and saying, huh, we should be doing this, and then making that happen. Right. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So coming back to your typical day, what are your working hours like? It's really funny. We have this joke at ThreadUp, which is that, and you know, our CEO says this all the time, is that we play golf and do other focus hack hogging activities to keep us from thinking about work. Because we have this philosophy that you don't really need to be at work all the time. We have meetings between 9 and 6. So pretty much the entire office is there, available. You can find them at their desk or in a meeting room. But aside from that, it's all up to you. You have typically have owned something at ThreadUp. So as long as you're delivering against what you own, no one really is questioning what you're doing with the rest of your time. So let's say it's holiday season. And I'm really busy engineering the next step and testing of optimization of the referrals program. I may come in at 8 and leave at 7, but that would be like a longer day for me. And that would be because I'm pretty busy. So overall, the hours are great, but we're always thinking about the business. And a lot of times it's bad stuff like thinking in the shower or the morning before you go to work, where you really get that deep insight 
And so working hard and then reflecting on it is kind of our philosophy. And the nine to six thing or, or having so much flexibility in terms of when you actually work and when you're actually in the office and to be able to work outside of the office, is that something which is fairly common across most growth roles across various companies? So not just specific to ThreadUp? Sadly, no. I think definitely ThreadUp is really atypical on work-life balance in the startup scene. Most of my friends have a different picture of work-life balance than I do. And I think it's just universal across ThreadUp. So we have work at home Wednesdays. There's no commute on Wednesday. I usually spend half the day in a coffee shop and half the day next to my girlfriend outside. (laughs) And that's great. And we don't expect people to be online after six either. So that's great. But most of the companies I interviewed at, and for me, I was really considering, were definitely more intense, you know, certainly staying till eight or nine and working more on the weekends. Yeah. Yeah. And, And if you compare the growth function to some of the other roles, such as product management or engineering, is it in any way more intense or less intense? And, and again, if you just talk about startups in general, what is your sense? In my sense, product managers usually are really stressed out. It's currently like a hyped up job. And so they're typically consider themselves and are evaluated as little CEOs of their product. And so I think that's a pretty intense job. Uh, I think engineering Unfortunately, in most tech companies, you don't really decide what you get to work on. So it's primarily delivering against work time estimates that either you provide or your boss or someone else is providing for you. Mm-hmm. So that can be moderately intense. I think with growth, you actually, of the three roles, define your KPIs, objectives, goals, and what you work on the most. So in that sense, it's less intense, but in the sense that you need to prove out your worth and that you're adding value. To the company, it can be intense to the sense that you're usually held accountable for the revenue number at the end of the month. It can definitely be intense. Oh, that's an interesting point. So I'm not sure if we touched on this, but what are the what are the sort of success criteria, uh, for lack of a better word, or the KPIs, I think that you mentioned, what are the key metrics that someone in growth would be evaluated on? Yeah, I think typically growth always has two components. It's like, how you deliver against what you own and how you found other ways to make an impact. And a lot of growth people will make much more impact outside of the things they own, but they need to deliver on the things they own. We always think of it as things you're responsible for and things you have influence over and you need to do both. And from the responsibility perspective, I think the most common metric you'll see in growth is CPA, cost for acquisition or cost for new customer mm-hmm. versus LTV or lifetime value. That's a marketing framework, but it's a framework that ties to the PL. So finance and analytics and CEO people usually like it as well. So it's a way to encapsulate all the costs of a particular growth program and all the benefits of a right. particular growth program. Okay. So you're accountable for both then? Yep. Okay. All right. So in your opinion, what do you think are the most interesting aspects of working in growth? I think by far the most interesting, especially if you're in a a vertical growth role or a more broadly defined growth role, is that you really get a chance to make an impact. It's up to you to find those areas where the business has untapped potential, where you can change the trajectory. And I think simply the opportunity those trajectories is exciting, 
and then the opportunity to potentially change the trajectory for the business you're working for is really fun. So that's what I think is really great about it. And are there any aspects that you find challenging? Yeah, I think um, it's extremely challenging in multiple ways. Primarily, and I think you've touched on this in asking, you know, how it's different from other roles and how you work with other people, how you team, and then how you also claim responsibility. You can't say that you were the product manager for something, but you might have come up with the idea for it. So how do you tie back your impact is a huge thing, but that's not even as important. It's in fact a small footnote in comparison to the importance or the, the challenge in getting the things that you believe in through your analytics and your data to happen, okay. pushing them through product and engineering, code reviews, pushing them through consumer feedback and iterating, moving forward and delivering against the numbers. I think it can definitely be challenging if you don't own an engineering team and a design team and a marketing team or own budgets or parts of their time you then need to make the case for it. So it really forces you to be rigorous in any of your recommendations. Yeah, that's a very good point because, uh, yeah, based on what you're describing, you have to work through other people to get your stuff done, which requires a lot of influence and uh, ability to persuade other people to see what you're what you're asking them to do absolutely is there any area that you just do not like at all about this job to be honest i love it it's perfectly suited to me because i'm constantly bouncing all over the place and i like to work on different things so for me i love the change and the excitement to the extent to your question the intensity okay all right All right, so let's switch over to uh, recruiting then. So, you know, for people who might be interested in exploring this job further or even applying for this job, just some questions around that. So in your opinion, what kind of person do you think would enjoy himself or herself in this job? I think it's really appealing to people who want to make an impact. If you're an impact-driven person, whether your background is engineering whether your background is product management, whether your background is marketing, or even design. It really, user experience, all those skill sets can make for a fantastic growth manager. So if you're the type of person who can be analytical, but then can bring your unique skill set to the table and find areas where you can make an impact and you go in and execute that impact, it can be a really exciting, fun job. I mean, is there something like a typical background for someone in this role? I think if you were to build the stacked bar chart in terms of what was the last title or maybe last function of people before they joined this job, I think probably 60% of those people would be marketing people. About 20 to 30% of those people would be product management or user experience and the other people would be engineering. Okay, so it's uh, so there is really no typical background. You could be from any, any any background pretty much. And as long as you are analytical and have the drive to make an impact, you have a shot at being a good growth manager. Absolutely. I think a wide variety of backgrounds, sort of like product management actually, a wide variety of backgrounds can create an awesome growth manager. 
it does sound though that you need to be fairly analytical. That's true, actually. Um, if you're not comfortable with numbers or Excel modeling, it's extremely tough. Right, right. And just to sort of help people who are thinking about this role, if someone doesn't really have any exposure to the tech industry or to Silicon Valley, but based on what you've described, they find the role sort of interesting, but they're not sure, how would you help them assess if they should go in for it? I would them to think about the areas that they really want to be working on on a day-to-day basis. Are you stimulated by thinking about what drives consumer behavior? Are you stimulated by working with other teams? Or do you prefer to really be given a more defined set of scope and objectives? Because In contrast to most roles, the role is more up to you to define, and it's also more up to you to create over the long term of your career where that path goes. So if you are more on the open-ended side and are analytical and really want to make an impact, then it's great. But if you feel like you're the type of person who would prefer a little more guidance and a little more direction and a little more specificity, then you might try to find an adjacent role like product marketing manager or something like that that might be a little more specific and defined. Yeah, that's a very good point because, yes, I mean, this role is something where pretty much sky is the limit, right? You can go in all kinds of directions. You have to be comfortable with that ambiguity and thinking for yourself in terms of what is the best thing to do. That's right. So is there like a typical career path in this role? Yeah, I think there's pretty much three career paths I've seen, and all three, I have to say, are pretty much fast-track career paths. So I typically see people going up through the marketing organization. So people will be a growth manager, then they'll become director of acquisition or director of retention. So they'll own a cost for acquisition for the business, or they'll own repeat revenue for the whole business. Then they'll go to owning acquisition and retention. So they'll be responsible for like delivering revenue. Then they'll go into senior VP of marketing. So they'll be managing that plus creative teams. And then they'll go into like a CMO, CEO type role. So that's pretty much the most common career path. Other career paths will be someone going up through the product management organization. So that's if they were the type of person who worked at HubSpot and created that website, they might become a product manager and own more product features, VP of product, VP of growth product, and move up from there. And then the third is really around the vertical growth function, which is they might grow out growth to be a function that doesn't silo into marketing or product, but sits alongside these and then they grow within that manager growth, senior manager growth, director growth, senior director growth, VP growth, senior VP, etc. I see. Okay. All right. So the best growth managers, what do you see them do differently? I see some really clear differentiators between people who were made for this job and people who landed in this job. Mm-hmm. The way I think about it is people's their thinking, their action. Their role. So, in terms of their thinking, I think that really awesome growth managers never really cease asking the question how can I make the most impact on the business? They're really not concerned with the bullet points under the responsibilities section of the job posting when they were hired for the job. The second thing is really around action. 
I think the best growth managers are constantly taking action in a wide variety of areas. They are optimizing four or five channels. They're helping three or four colleagues on four or five channels. They're building out one or two channels. And they're learning programming on the side so that they can build out the data infrastructure to the next level. So they're taking lots of action. And then finally is the role. The really awesome growth managers define their role in such a way that they're owning many things. They're owning certain channels, owning certain portions of the business, and creating a career path for themselves such that they continually own more and more and grow either in, in any of those three paths I mentioned. You know, those, those, are, those are great points. Uh, have you, I'm not sure if you've interviewed people for growth yet, but if, if you are interviewing for this position, how do you assess these qualities in an interview? And maybe you can describe what kind of interviews can you expect for this function? I think ThreadUp and I think anyone who's interested in growth is really looking for someone who is unusually entrepreneurial. Everyone we've hired has a side project of some sort. One of the guys we just hired has like had his own Amazon store for 10 years. <laughs> he has eBay stores. He has like huge warehouses full of stuff. Like he is working. Oh, yeah. He can sell product on his own. He doesn't need to work at ThreadUp. Yeah. He's just helping us sell product. And we are so wowed by his range of skills. Right. So that's one key thing. His entrepreneurial nature proven through your resume. The second thing is really around attitude. We really don't like people who are negative, people who are shy to speak up, people who really don't want to assert themselves because the role requires you to go out there and influence outcomes. So you need someone who's really extra, not extroverted, but extra effort, extra excited about the job. They don't necessarily need to be the personality where oh, you're like, oh, that's clearly a leader. But then you need to be the person where that's clearly a hard worker. That person clearly only cares about what's right for the business. So that's another huge thing for us. And then the final thing, and you touched on this a little bit, is that analytical nature. We want someone who can really analyze the data and push our thinking in a data-driven way. Right, right. So what are the interviews like? I think it really depends on the interviewer. My personal interview style might be a little different than everyone else's, so I'll speak in a little bit of broad strokes, and then I can speak a little bit to what I'm looking for. But I think in broad strokes, they're interested in why you want to work at the company, why you want to work in growth, what relevant experiences you have, what relevant skills you have, and what you want to do. Those are like the common topics for any job interview. And then within the growth role, they want to see someone who's looking out for consumer behavior trends. If you're at an enterprise Trump company, then it's like how the people purchasing your enterprise product behave. People who are really interested in optimizing and affecting that, whether it's through SEO or advertising or building new channels or product or engineering new product features. And then they want people who really exhibit A-plus player mentality, you know, whether it's through their resume or just what they've done. So I think they'll test that. They'll test that in ways that might be case-based mm-hmm. or they might just be experience-based. So the case-based ones, and that's where I think I differ is I probably emphasize that a little more than most because I have a consulting background, right. would be, hey, how would you think about evaluating our blogger program? 
And to me, that's a great question because I, I want to think about it every day and improve the way I'm thinking about it. So it would be a great discussion for me. And then it also helps me understand how they might think about a program at our company that they could potentially be managing. So there's the case and then there's the experience, which might just be, can you explain your role in a project where you caused a growth improvement or something like that? I see. Yeah, which is more based on what they've done in the past. Yep. Okay. So, and I realize I'm jumping around a little bit, but touching back a little bit on what you said would be key qualities that you would look for in a candidate, which was being very entrepreneurial and analytics. And there was one more thing I think you mentioned. I think I, think I called it extra effort instead of extra invert, extroverted. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, you know, given that, it, you know, that it's a lot of, I can understand that it's required for, for the job, but that's a lot of probably not an easy combination to find in a candidate, especially in Silicon Valley where the market is so competitive. How can candidates stand out? It's really tough to stand out in Silicon Valley. I think when we posted our first growth manager posting, we got 100 applicants in two days. Wow. So yeah. if the volume, once you're a venture-backed startup, series CDE type startup, it's truly immense. So you certainly have a lot of candidates to choose from. So from the candidate's perspective, there are a couple growth hacks to getting jobs. And the most easy one is to have a networking in. If you LinkedIn everybody at the company before applying for the job, you will 2x your chances of getting the job. And if you reach out through your network, you will 5x your chances of getting the job. So that is the biggest hack to getting one of these jobs. And it has nothing to do with your resume or how you answer questions in the interview. Mm -hmm. But then the other hack is really around building a set of experiences that is extremely compelling. And that's thinking about your resume as the intro to a podcast. My series of jobs or my series of projects, what story would someone tell? Would they say, Akash worked at a bank and then he worked at an energy company in a marketing role and then he worked at Samsung in a product management role and now he's applying for product management here? You know, maybe that could make a little bit of sense, but maybe a more coherent story would be something like, Akash studied computer engineering and then explored business roles like marketing and landed on product management and loves product management and now he wants to pursue product management more. If that's the story you want to tell, then you tell that through your resume and your cover letter. You choose the experiences and order them in that way and then you write about it in that way and always write a cover letter. I can't believe how many people don't write cover letters. That's your opportunity to shape yourself. So I think those are my main things. Think about your story, write a cover letter, and network. Don't just apply online. Right. So two follow-up questions on that. One is, actually, let's talk about the cover letter first, because I think there is a little bit of a debate in terms of what value does a cover letter add. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that, that what is it that you're looking to see in a resume? And then what additional value or what additional information do you want to get out of the cover letter? Yeah, I think for me at least, and I 
think for most people, at places where they have lots of applicants, the resume is table stakes. You need to have a great resume, and when you're looking at 10 great resumes, it's so hard to differentiate. Princeton, McKinsey, Google, product management. Harvard, BT Carney, Samsung, business strategy. How do you tell the difference between those two? Are you like, oh, I like Google a little bit more than Samsung? Like, how do you actually know that they performed better at Google? What if this was like the top percentile at Samsung? It's really extremely hard to tell the difference between those types of awesome people. And the cover letter is then your opportunity to say, okay, I know about your company. I did research on your company. I know about your role, and I did research about your role. I usually went above and beyond on cover letters. I would almost always literally build a model or build a product mock and include it in my cover letter to say, I have done the most homework out of all of the 100 applicants here. And so it's your opportunity. If you don't want to use it, it's up to you. If you think they're not going to read it, it's up to you. But to me, there is a limited number of jobs out there, so I'm going to maximize my opportunity against each one of them. Yeah, that's awesome. So you actually build out, uh, you built out a model or a mock-up of the product. That's how you applied when you were doing your recruiting at startups. Absolutely. If it's an analytics role, yeah. you should do some sort of analytics. If right. it's a product management role, you should do a wireframe. Wow, that's so interesting. So how much time would you spend on a typical application? I typically apply to one company a day. So try to like get all the networking things in and try to build out my model and my cover letter and my job app and my resume. Okay, okay. And then the other question that I wanted to follow up with is uh, you mentioned that before applying, send LinkedIn messages to as many people as you can in that company. What would you include in that message? It really depends on how you're connected to the folks. Hopefully, you know, you have a mutual connection. You can say, hey, I noticed that you're friends with Vish. Vish and I were friends at Microsoft when we worked there. I loved working with Vish. He was really great at product management. I saw that you're doing product management now at Google. I, too, am extremely interested in Google and saw that you had this open role. If you had a time, and no problem if you don't, I was just wondering maybe if I could stop by for 15 minutes for coffee. And then, you know, maybe they'll say we can have a phone call or whatever, but it doesn't hurt to try and you'll be surprised how many people are actually just nice and will give you a little bit of time. Yeah. So you you did that when you were recruiting and what was the response rate? Um, I don't think on LinkedIn the response rate is necessarily all that great because even if I think about myself, I don't really check my LinkedIn messages that often, but I think of people who are actually reading the messages, the response rate is pretty high. Okay. But overall, I didn't always reach out through LinkedIn. I tried to reach out through my network as much as possible. So overall, almost at every company, I tried to talk to at least one person first. Okay. All right. All right. This was super helpful, Akash. Any parting advice that you'd like to share with people who are either recruiting right now for this role or are interested in exploring this role further? I think one thing I probably didn't mention is just love tech if you want to get into tech. Live and breathe it. Read TechCrunch. Read Hacker News. Read Quora. Talk to people in tech. Go out and buy a programming book and learn a little bit of programming so that you are conversant in what tech is and how it works. Learn what the stack is. Learn the different components of the stack. Learn about the areas that you love. And a lot of this will just come to you naturally then. After all that work you're doing, you'll find companies that you love, 
you'll find companies that are hiring because in this space they're always raising money and need more people. And you'll also have a resume with side projects that will enable you to get that job. Uh, actually, I know I said this was the last question, but you just reminded me two very important things I forgot to ask. One is, are there any resources that you would recommend for interested candidates, either to prepare for the interview or even to learn more about growth as a function itself? Yeah, I think I mentioned it a couple times. Quora is awesome for this particular topic. There's really, really, really good stuff on conquering interviews at all these companies, really good stuff on interview questions and how to answer them, really good stuff on what growth is and how to think about growth and how to be better at growth, really good stuff on advertising and different advertising channels, really good stuff on programming. So I think that's one hidden resource that has a lot of first-person startup data on it, so that's excellent. And then the other, I think, is talking to people and really building up the courage to cold call if you don't have a network or if you have a network, tapping into it. Okay. Are there any uh, specific people uh, that come to mind that you follow on Quora? I actually don't follow people. I get the weekly digest and I just search through sections and look at most upvoted answers. And I also find people who I like. So, for example... Boaz from Facebook, who's been at Facebook for like 10 years, I saw that he liked a post and I just clicked on his name and then I could see everything else he upvoted. And it was the most magnificent feed of posts I'd probably ever seen. Like mm-hmm. every post that he liked was genius insight on the tech industry. Okay. All right. Now that's because, you know, for a lot of people, it's, and this is a new function, right? So uh, as much as you can read up and form your own opinion, that can be helpful. And the other thing I wanted to ask was, when applying for this role, is there something like figuring out which company is better suited for working in growth? Like, for example, let's say you're an engineer, then if you work, and I'm taking examples of large companies, but a company, if you're working, let's say, on the search algorithm at Google, that'll be much more engineering heavy than, let's say, if you're just building something which is much less engineering intensive. So is there something like that in terms of figuring out which company would give you a better experience? Absolutely, absolutely. I think you should try to totally snuff out how important growth is in the organization, how they would view your role and how you'd work with other people, what you would own, because different companies, it reports up through different organizations and it has different sway. In the organization has different ability to effectuate change. At bigger companies, change is inherently slower always. So growth will typically be siloed amongst more roles. And then across sub-industries, growth inherently has more or less impact. Across non-tech industries, it inherently typically has less impact because those companies are often managing to EBITDA. They're not in a venture-backed world. They're often like public companies or just regular private companies that aren't investor-backed but need to make profit from the first month. So they're not necessarily as focused on top line. So definitely think about how much the company can focus on growth and how happy the people in growth seem. And if you can find data on how historically important growth has been, like at companies like Airbnb, Uber, and Facebook, where has historically been very important those are great companies to work at okay all right all right thanks a lot akash i know i took a lot of your time but this was very very helpful and uh yeah thank you again for your time yeah no problem yep all right take care bye-bye cheers
Ms. Akash Gupta with a great account of what it's like to work as a growth manager at a startup. I hope you found today's episode helpful. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes. It is called Learn, Educate, Discover. As always, if you have any feedback to share with us or if you have ideas on professions that we should include in our upcoming episodes, please do share your ideas with us. You can email us at learneducatediscover at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at LED underscore curator. Show notes from today's episode, as well as links to resources mentioned by Akash, will be posted to our blog. You can find our blog at medium.com forward slash at LED underscore curator. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Until the next episode, adios.